We read the scriptures to not forget where we've come from and where we're going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read scripture together. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Well, good morning again. My name is Matthew. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church, and it's a joy to spend some time with you on this Palm Sunday. We're going to go to Luke chapter 19, so go ahead and get there in your Bibles, Luke 19. It's the uh, third gospel in the New Testament, third book there, and uh, if you're having trouble finding it, just go to faithchurchchaos.org, click on sermon notes, and you can follow along with us this morning. Hey, this week is Holy Week. It's Passion Week. And uh, we, uh, our team actually has put together a devotional. And of course, we have a full interactive kit available in our lobby. But um, there are extra devotionals that you can grab on your way out. Or if you're watching online, you can find it right there on our website or what we call our central hub. And there's a devotion for every day this week leading up to Easter Sunday, including starting today. And uh, what we're doing is walking through in Scripture the last days, what Jesus would have been doing today. What would he be doing tomorrow leading all the way up through his death, burial, and of course resurrection next Sunday that we'll all gather and celebrate. And uh, we will have a Good Friday service this Friday online only available on demand anytime on Friday that works for you and your family. And there's details about that in here. But uh, So make sure you get your hands on one of these and let's journey as a church uh, to resurrection as we celebrate and focus this week on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means for us. Luke 19, we are wrapping up this collection of sermons entitled The Practice of Worship. And uh, we're going to look at what Palm Sunday is all about today in two different gospel accounts. But we're going to start here in Luke 19, starting in verse 29. This is what the word of the Lord says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Hey, go ahead to the village in front of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs of it. Some of you today, you're going to go home and you're going to be sitting on the couch, guys, and you're going to tell your kids, hey, I want you to go into the kitchen, bring me the Girl Scout cookies. And if your mother asks you, why are you bringing, what are you doing with those Girl Scout cookies, just say, don't worry, my father has need of it, right? And just See if it works for you. It does for Jesus. I don't know if it'll work for you or not. goes on to say in verse 32, Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he said. As they were untying the colt, indeed, the owners came and said, oh, What are you doing untying this colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They, then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, 
put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd, we're talking thousands of people, because at this moment in time, everybody in Israel is journeying to Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples had left Galilee. There were lots of people from Galilee traveling probably in caravan around the same time and tempo that Jesus would have been. And so all of these people are well familiar with who Jesus is, what he's done, the miracles that he's done, how he fed thousands of people with just a little uh, fish and chips kind of a meal. And, and all of these things are occurring and Jesus is going and all of the crowds traveling from all of these areas are all entering Jerusalem to celebrate something. And as they're gathering in, they begin to to discover who Jesus is, and they're, they're all starting to, to do something pretty amazing. And so when they came near that place, the whole crowd and the disciples, they began joyfully, somebody say joyfully, turn to your neighbor and look at them and see if they have joy on their face. If not, they're not participating with the crowd. They joyfully began to praise God, don't miss this, in loud voices. In, in loud, well, come on, that's what I'm talking about, in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And they began to proclaim, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They began to shout and proclaim this as they're like traveling along into the city. Some of the Pharisees, in the crowd, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out. The stones in this world, they will begin to cry, cry out. This is the word of the Lord. I want to bring a message today entitled, King to you. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus is still king and we get to proclaim it in your name. Amen. King to you. One of my favorite movies is the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. And in The Count of Monte Cristo, there are two main characters and they have this kind of inside joke, this inside thing that they do. Um, and these two characters, anytime one of them accomplishes something of note or they want to celebrate the moment, they toss each other a chess piece, the king chess piece, and they say, kings to you. And it's kind of their way of saying, hey, let's celebrate you because you're king of this moment. You've conquered something. You've accomplished something. Let's celebrate what you've done. And they kind of commemorate it, and it's kind of like this inside thing that they do to celebrate the moment and to celebrate each other. I believe that the practice of worship is celebrating the king. What did we see here as they entered down? They began to cry out in loud voices with lots of enthusiasm, lots of excitement, Lots of like Red Bull adrenaline had their coffee moments. Blessed is the king 
comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this wasn't an uncommon practice for them in their day. Uh, anytime a king would return victorious from battle, the entire town would throw a huge celebration and parade. And they would sing of the exploits and declare what has happened through song, dance, and celebration, celebrating the king as he arrived back into the city. Now, it's true. In this moment, the people were thinking that Jesus was coming to, to liberate them and to overthrow Caesar. They were looking for a political reason to celebrate. Jesus gave them a spiritual reason to celebrate instead. He, they wanted to be set free from the control of the Romans, but Jesus said, no, no, I've come to bring a different kingdom that's going to set you free from the law of sin and death and hell. And so while they may not have fully understood everything that was happening in that moment, it didn't keep them from celebrating anyways. This would be similar to, uh, imagine the scene a couple years ago in Kansas City when the beloved Kansas City Chiefs returned home victorious in the Super You know, the one where they showed up and played. Like, some of you are like, too soon, Pastor, too soon. Get it. Remember when they returned home? How many thousands of people before Corona showed up? And ruined every celebration we've ever planned for the last year, right? Remember? They filled the streets, flooded the place. Children were on top of grown men trying to get a glimpse as this party bus rolls through town. And people are yelling and screaming and going wild for a football team in celebration. A way in which we were commemorating a historic moment. In essence, we were tossing them the chess piece and saying, hey, king to you, way to go. King of the moment, you are victorious. Some of you are like, yeah, I, they were all probably drunk too. Well, maybe we need to change the communion that we're using. I'm not sure what we need to do to help us realize that our practice of worship ought to be a celebration fitting a king. Not an earthly king, but the king of the universe. The one who conquers all. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't stop their worship because they weren't sincere. Or because they didn't fully understand who he was and why they were celebrating. Every person in the crowd probably had a different reason for celebrating him. And Jesus didn't silence them and say, excuse me, this is inappropriate. You are, are lavishing way too much love upon me right now. You are, you are shouting way too high. I need you to bring it down. This is the, a holy place. We don't need to act a fool up in here, up in here. <laughs> Y'all, I got pop culture references coming out the yin-yang today. Just hang with me. He didn't silence their praise because they're likely their heart wasn't in the right place. It, they were just being too emotional in this moment. It's very likely that this same crowd who was shouting celebration of the king would later shout crucify this man. Jesus wasn't ignorant of that, but he welcomes the praise. In other words, I don't think Jesus is trying to be the praise police. 
And I don't think he needs you to be the praise police either. He just needs you to join the crowd in worship. I think it's time that as, as the body of Christ, we reclaim the art and the joy of celebration. I think it's right to celebrate things. I think we ought to learn how to throw good parties. I think the people of God ought to be the most joyful, the most exuberant, the most expressive in our celebration because it is, de- deme- it is indicative of the worthiness of King Jesus. We're, heaven's going to be like a big party anyhow. Feasts and food and we already know God likes animal sacrifices, so the barbecue is going to be on point. Right? Like, I'm just trying to work on my skill down on earth so that maybe I get that job in heaven. I want to man the Traeger in heaven. I'm just saying. Got to get better, Greg. Got to get better. Why? Because the practice of worship celebrates the king. Is your worship, is your expression, your enthusiasm, your emotion, your, your, your ecstatic exuberance, actually celebrating the king? I think the practice of worship ought to celebrate the king. Let let me share a second thought with you from today's scriptures and, and from Palm Sunday. Number two is this, the practice of worship ascribes worth to the king. It ascribes worth to the king. Friends, God is so worthy of worship If the human beings he created for the capacity to worship don't do what they were created to do, he will recreate and reanimate an inanimate object like a rock to give him praise because he's that worthy of it. Some of you are like, no, I'm just practicing my rock today, pastor. I'm just going to sit stone-faced. I'm going to worship like a rock. Well, Jesus said that that's not quite the right worship. Jesus said that it's your mouth opening up, giving him praise, lifting your hands, not arms folded, hands up, kind of just this expression of worship because he's so dadgum worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And whether you give him the praise or not, he's still worthy of it. This is the whole motivation behind why we worship. This is, I've been waiting this entire collection to preach this one message. And it really ought to be like three messages, but I'm giving it to you at once, so I hope you're ready to eat. I hope you brought an appetite for the Lord today, because I'm going to give you some stuff that you're going to be gnawing on and to-go bags all week long on this stuff. Friends, the practice of worship ascribes worth to a king. He's worthy of our worship. Jesus was so worthy of the worship that if humans whom he created to do it didn't do it, then he said, I'm going to make sure an inanimate object does give me praise because it demands his worth is so amazing and so much worth it that it has to happen. Worship will occur. I just say we participate in it. Because he's worthy of it. I think the enemy is always working behind the scenes to siphon away our praise. I think if you'll notice, Jesus didn't rebuke the crowd for worshiping, even in their limited understanding, even in maybe their shallow depth of of truth of knowing who he was. He didn't rebuke them for worshiping, but he did rebuke the religious people who were upset because they should have known that he was worthy and was the king. 
But they didn't. They didn't. They stood back judging and criticizing and condemning and complaining and criticizing the crowd for their worship. I think the enemy has always been behind the scenes, siphoning, trying to steal away, silence, and diminish and dilute the praise of God's people. In fact, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, there's an interesting prophecy that the prophet Ezekiel gives to the king of Tyre. And, and, and it's an interesting uh, prophecy because he's speaking to a person, but he's actually talking about something else. And he's using it to illustrate it. In fact, um, it's actually a prophecy that reveals a little bit of truth about who we would call today Satan, who once was named Lucifer, who used to sit in the courts of God in heaven in charge of helping making sure God got the praise that was to his name. That was his job. He was an archangel. In fact, in, in Luke 28, this is what, or Ezekiel 28, this is what it says. It says, uh, thus says the Lord God, you are a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Some of you are like, oh, he's, he's describing my wife. Well, maybe. Describing my wife. I don't know about y'all. But I tell you who he's not describing. He's not describing the king of Tyre. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. There was no way the king of Tyre was in the garden of God. Who was in the garden of Eden? God the Father, Son, and Spirit, Adam, Eve, and Satan. Well, he's not talking about God. He's not talking about Adam and Eve. Who's he talking about? He goes on to describe this. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. He was dripping, friends, dripping with bling. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Y'all just, just, people who are new to church are like, well, I know what that means. Welcome, we're glad you're here. On the day, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were, on, you were one anointed guardian cherub. Other versions say you were an archangel. There were three archangels that Scripture references. Michael, who always is represented in Scripture during warfare, particularly intercession and prayer. Gabriel, who always was delivering messages from God, the word of God was always being delivered to Gabriel. And then there was a third, Lucifer. We have the word. We have prayer. I wonder if the other archangel had anything to do with worship. He goes on to say, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. And in the midst of the stones, a fire you walked, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with the violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you. O guardian cherub from the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you but the, uh, um, in the sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you, and it turns you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Here's what was happening. You, you saw reference that he was a cherub. He was, he was there meant to bring splendor to God, but instead stole splendor for himself. And it references this abundance of your trading. Another version says, through the merchandising of your ways, it was unrighteous the way he did it. What does that mean? Well, let's say, here's what it means. Let's say you own a store. I run the cash register at your store. Somebody come buys an item. The item costs $3. They give me, the person running the register, $3. I take two, place it in the register. I take one and put it in my pocket for myself. That's merchandising. That's unrighteous trading. That's what it's referring to. What was happening? Praise that was supposed to be ascribed to God. Satan said, yeah, yeah, give some to God, but don't forget who I am. Look how beautiful I am. And pride, and he began to siphon away the praise that was worth and was supposed to go to God and claimed it for himself. Friends, today, Satan is still behind the scenes in your life and my life trying to siphon away praise that is supposed to go to God, but we're willing to give it to everyone else. Anything that gets our adoration and our worship more than God becomes an idol, and we then place its worth above God's worth. Some of us are more expressive. Hear me, hear me, hear my heart. Please, 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 please. I just need us to catch this. Some of us are more expressive of our love for our grandkids than we've ever been about God Almighty. Should we express our love for our grandkids and our kids? Yes! But should we ascribe worth and honor and beauty to God? All the more so, yes. Anytime we are unwilling to ascribe worship to God, we are essentially telling God, you're not worth it to me. And Satan has now siphoned your praise, stuffed and silenced your worship. I don't ever want to be someone whose worship is silenced and stifened, siphoned away. I pray I always give God what he's due. Why? Because the practice of worship ascribes worth to the king. Here's, here's a third thought. The practice of worship ascribes worth to the holy, who is God, from the unholy, which is me. I'll say it again. The practice of worship ascribes worth to the holy, which is God, from the unholy, which is us. Psalms 29, verse 1 and 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenlies, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Friends, God is holy. He is a consuming fire. Absolutely. 100% agree. He is so holy. In fact, uh, the, the apostle Peter writes and he says, be holy because God is holy. 
and we're looking at our lives and we're like, I'm not really holy. I can't ascribe God what he's worthy of because he's so holy and I'm so unholy. And so many of us stop there. And we shouldn't. Why? Because Jesus didn't stop the crowd. He didn't stop the crowd and say, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, you're not holy enough to worship a holy God. You're not groveling enough. You're not complaining, and you haven't realized how sinful you are yet. You can't worship me this way. Is that what God did? Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus knew full well what was going on in their hearts and minds. Jesus knew full well that these would be the same people that goes from a cheering crowd to a mob chanting, crucify him. Jesus was aware. He knew. God always seems to still gather and garnish praise as a holy God from unholy objects and people. I think when Peter wrote and he said, be holy for I am holy, he was letting us know where the source of our holiness actually comes from. It comes from a holy God who wants to indwell us through his spirit, making us more like him as we grow in him. I believe that holiness is the result of a life that has been made whole in the presence of God. The more you get in God's presence in your worship, the more worth you ascribe to God because of his holiness. As you worship him in the beauty of his holiness, you begin to behold that holiness and he begins to illuminate to you your own need for repentance. And when you make that repentance, it makes you a little more whole. And when you become whole, healed, set right, reconciled, redeemed, forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb, reconciled to Christ through his cross, when we become redeemed and receive the righteousness applied to us, our brokenness and our unwholeness becomes more whole as we behold the Holy One. The practice of worship is always about ascribing worth to the holy from the unholy. This is what happened to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He was in a moment where he was worshiping God and in the presence of God, all of a sudden his eyes were open. He's like, oh my gosh, I see the Lord. He's seated high on a throne. And the train of his robe, his kingly, righteous robe is filling the whole earth. And I see the angels flying around his throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was on repeat one track again and again. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. For all eternity, there are angels who are so flabbergasted by the holiness and the splendor of God that all they can do is fly around where God's throne is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah caught a glimpse of the holiness. It illuminated in his own heart, and he begins to immediately say, Oh, whoa, 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 woe is me. I'm, a, I'm undone here. I'm in the presence of God, and something isn't right within me. There's something unrighteous and unholy about me. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't praise God. My lips aren't clean enough. I can't, I can't proclaim God's message. I'm not, I'm not holy enough. I, there's something unwholesome about my life. 
And God says, here, let me take a coal. Let me burn your lips. And the Lord purifies in the fire of his holiness. He purified Isaiah's mouth and made it whole again. So that Isaiah could then declare the word of God to the people of God. What happened? Isaiah got in the presence of God. And in his presence, he discovered the holiness of God. And it shined so bright, it illuminated the unwholesome parts of Isaiah's life. And he allowed the holiness of God to make him whole again so that he could wholeheartedly lift up worship and praise and follow out what God has called him to. Friends, the closer I get in in God's presence, the shine of his glory helps illuminate my own need for repentance, just like it illuminates your need for repentance. This is what I believe scripture is talking about when it says worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Recognizing that he is holy and while we are not, we can be made whole by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I think the practice of worship, it describes worth to the holy from the unholy. Let me give you one final thought today. And that's simply this. The practice of worship proclaims the gospel of grace. Think about it for a minute. The practice of worship proclaims the gospel of grace. In Matthew chapter 21, you see the, the disciple Matthew, his perspective on what took place on this day. I love the Gospels, all all four of them, because it's like a multi-camera angle of the life of Jesus. They each are telling the counter and the life and the story of Jesus from a different angle, a different lens, a different viewpoint, a different vantage point. Like multi, multi, we have four different cameras going in this room right now. And they're all giving you a different angle, a different view of what's happening. So each one is capturing different details of this moment right here, right now recording the different details that that particular lens, that particular camera, that particular viewpoint is catching. That's what the gospels give us, all four of them. A different view and vantage point of what God did through the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, when he records this, he he records something a little bit different than Luke recorded. It says that they, they did the, the, the donkey and they rode in and the branches and all of that was recorded really, really the same. And, and he said that the crowds rose and went ahead. And when the crowd shouted, Matthew records something that they shouted differently. He says that they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is a word that means save now. They were proclaiming and crying out for salvation. God, would you save us now? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then it goes on to say in verse 10, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. There was a buzz that was happening in the city. And they asked this question, who is this who is this did he he just conquer Rome is that who this is 
Who is this? Is this just some, some guy who's like paid a bunch of people to like shout his name? Like buying followers and Instagram clout? Is that, is that what's happening here? No. I think their hearts were truly intrigued. Say, who is this? Who is this? I believe that the people who were there, many of them, had a full understanding and were beginning to get a hold of the idea. And if nothing else, God himself knew that this was the son of David who was come, who was promised to come in the line of David. This was the king who would indeed come, the Messiah, Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. And so they were crying out, save now, son of David. Save us now, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who is this? You want to know who it is? It's the man who came to bring grace and forgiveness and hope and restoration and reconcile a broken people separated in their sin to a holy God and unite them together again in relationship so that those who were far from God can be brought close to God. This is the message of grace. This was the message Jesus was proclaiming. And I believe in our worship, it ought to demonstrate and communicate in such a way that people understand this is the gospel of grace. I think our songs ought to describe the grace that God has given to us. I think people ought to be able to look at the enthusiasm in your worship. I think people ought to be able to, I think people who have never been to church a day in their life ought to walk in our doors, hear the music, be like, all right, this is kind of cool. I kind of like this. I I, I can jam with this. Got a little Mumford and Sons sound going on. I can dig this. I can clap a little bit. I can get behind this. All right, this is kind of cool. Doesn't sound terrible. It's not as boring as I thought it would be. Okay, I can, I can handle this for a minute. And they find themselves in a room. But then all of a sudden, something changes. The celebration takes a turn. And they begin to look around a room, and they see people who they've interacted with at the bank. They look around, and they see people who have been shopping at Walmart. They look around, and Remember, that's that one parent who was yelling really loud at the ref because of that one thing in their kid's game. I'm looking around and these people, they're not really all that holy. Like, I know their story. Like, I was at hometown too last night, but I ain't gonna say that I was at hometown too last night. I'm getting on somebody's, I better back out and be a little more generic. (laughs) Gotta, Gotta paint this more generically, Gary. I know, I know. But man, these people, they're really serious about this. Like they're lifting their hands and singing and stuff. And I look around and this one lady, she's like crying all the time. And like, and like, they got their hands up and like they're singing and they're singing loud. And like some of them can't and shouldn't sing loud, but they singing loud. Like, what is this? Well, that's the message of grace, friends. That's what it looks like 
when someone who is undeserving finds something of worth from a God who says, no, you're not holy, but I will begin to make you whole so that you can reflect who I am, so that you can, in your own praise, worship God and declare of his own goodness in your own life that you were once lost, but now you're found. You were blind to your sin, but you can see fully now. You once were dead, but Jesus has raised you to new life. That's why we worship so passionately. Because he's worthy of it all. If he would be willing to hang naked on a tree, I'm willing to lift my pits that are stained with sweat before the world to see and say, yeah, he's just that good and worthy of it. I don't care if I don't sing good. I'm going to shout loud. You can tell me to be quiet. I'm not going to be replaced by a rock one day in heaven. I'm going to be there myself. my kids each of them in their own way have asked me dad why do you worship why do you sing why do you lift your hands and I have an opportunity to tell them one day your dad is way more self-centered than he is now one day your dad was really good at lying and manipulating people one day long ago dad wasn't really all that good of a person and when I worship I'm proclaiming that my life that was imperfect has been made clean by the Savior who was perfect and I'm proclaiming the grace of God friends that's why we worship that's what the practice of worship does in our hearts and this is why we come to the table every week. We grab the elements, we grab the bread, and we grab the juice. Because this gathering, the way we sing, the way we worship, the way we serve, the way we love others, the way we welcome people in, it's all to proclaim the gospel of grace. It's by his grace that we're saved through our faith in him, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And so we're willing to celebrate and sing. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. And that's why we will continue to practice a way of worship in this place and continue to disciple people in the way of Jesus in such a way that we realize our worship ought to be expressive. Our worship ought to be enthusiastic. Our worship... It ought to have a little passion that causes people to be like, man, they really mean this junk. Yeah, we really do. We really do. Because he's worthy of it all. And that's what we come to the table to remember. That's what we come to the table to find ourselves. This week, on a real practical note, one way you can begin to, to practice this and remind yourself of why you worship I want you to take, take a minute this week and write down 10 reasons that God the Father, Son, and Spirit are worthy and deserving of your personal worship. Just write down 10. You'll find them. Once you get started, they'll be a lot easier. 10 reasons why God's worth 
your worship. And it'll help us get in the right mind to worship him as a risen Savior come Sunday. Would you stand with me as we come to the table of the Lord all together? Jesus is the sympathetic, sympathetic shepherd that we needed. Jesus is the suffering Savior who died on a cross. Jesus is the submitted son who lived according to God's will, not his own. And Jesus is the sacrificing servant who lays down his life for you and me. So we worship him and we say, kings to you, Jesus. King to you, Jesus. You be king. We're here to celebrate you. And when we take the bread, which is his body, and we take the juice, which represents his blood, we are proclaiming a gospel of grace to King Jesus. Amen? Let's take the bread together. And now the juice. Father, today, as we have come to the table, all of us in our own various paths and ways that led us to this moment, each of us with our own story and history, but all of us in some way able to stand here today simply because of your grace. And so, Lord, may we live lives and express worship in a way that would declare and celebrate you as king, that would give you the worth and holiness that you're due even though we're unholy. And may it be something that allows us to celebrate you and the gospel of grace in full view in our lives. Jesus, be honored. As we celebrate Easter this week, as we celebrate the journey to the cross, God, would you be the center of our lives as we celebrate you as king. Lord, I pray that this week, you would be close to us as we begin to write out the things and the reasons why we worship and celebrate you, why you're worthy of it to us. Lord, would you meet us in that moment? And would you help us take another step in expressing our love and adoration this week to you? Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them? May the Lord lift his countenance towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link and when you do that you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them hey if faith church has made an impact in your life if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith would you consider partnering with us financially when you do that it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real jesus you can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.